You're listening to a talk which is part of our Restore series. We hope this series will help people understand what it means to be a restorer and how this impacts our actions and attitudes when dealing with both the church and secular culture. For more information, other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. Good morning. Uh, Let's just pray together as we come to the word. Father God, we just bless you and praise you for everything that you've said and done already this morning. Father God, we thank you that you're living and active, working with us, Lord God, towards your purposes. We just ask that you take our time of thinking and talking together this morning, Lord God. Give us ready minds to think and to receive and ready hearts and spirits, ready to absorb and to change and to act. Lord, we just ask that you would grace us with your presence now as we think together. In Jesus' name. I'm so glad that uh, Mark asked me to talk about community this morning because, (coughs) forgive me because I've got a bit of a sore throat, because I think that, and I hope that if you cut me like a piece of Brighton Rock, you'd find the word community and together written across every aspect of my life and across the history of me as a person and as a family member. Community is a very big and a complex idea. Just thinking about it gives you a headache. It's difficult to do justice to it in one short session. So this morning, what I'm going to try to do is focus our attention into just some small aspects of the topic that I believe God's laid on my heart. And hopefully then we'll be able to open our discussion up further and put some practical legs on it through life groups and even in our own prayer and thinking time together in the Word and other sessions that we'll have on restoration. So this morning, what we're going to do briefly is uh, think about what we currently think of as community or a community. Think about how the idea and the nature of community originates in God, the Trinity. Uh, Think about a little bit about how the early followers of Jesus taught and demonstrated being a restored community and a restoring community. And then think a little bit about how we can follow through on some of those principles, although our world looks very different today. So particularly with an emphasis on being not just a restored, but a restoring community ourselves. So I'm going to just begin by asking you, you might have to shout out a bit if you're further away from me, um, just what kinds of community you're part of? No, don't be shy, just let's have some words. What kinds of community? Church. Workplace. School. Youth. Guides, great. Neighbourhoods, yeah. Voluntary work or societies. Sorry, I... The homeless community. Virtual Virtual communities. Sorry. (coughs) Sorry? You're liking it. (coughs) Okay. 
Clubs and societies, groups, yep. Interest groups, yeah. Pubs, clubs, Com communities of practice. You know, people who work in and think about the same things that we do. University, college, school. If you're a minority um, community like Ben Jones's, you know, Welsh. Or if you're, you know, an asylum seeker. I didn't, I didn't use the ginger word. So if you're from a minority community, perhaps you're an asylum seeker or you've migrated to this country, your national identity, your group identity, your ethnic identity might also be very important to you. So there are just some of the kind of networks that were in social networks. Alan talked about digital communities. You know, most of us now are in multiple networks. You know, we might be on Twitter, we might be on Facebook, we might be on Pinterest. We might be in LinkedIn, you know, we're in so many different networks and all of those in some ways exhibit some aspects of community. And I think that is because people are by nature social. You know, we want to share life. Sharing life with other people is what makes it mean meaningful. And I think we only have to think back to what happened during the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games, just to see how people love to come together, to enjoy and to be able to celebrate things. And they also want to come together when something bad happens. We just talked about what's been happening in Wales. We've seen the community come together in whatever way they can to share their concern and their heartache. We've seen that in Manchester last week in the funeral services, the Thanksgiving services for those police women. The people want to come together in community to express their hearts and their feelings. And I would say that everybody, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, is hardwired for community. It's human nature to want to come together because that's the way God made us. And Genesis 2 verse 18 tells us, Now the Lord God said when he'd made Adam, It's not good, sufficient or satisfactory that the man should be alone. And I'm using the amplified version of the Bible um, with any kind of scriptures I'm talking about this morning because that helps me to kind of un unpick further the rich meaning of the language. So it's not good, sufficient or satisfactory that a man should be alone. And the story illustrates then, therefore, that God made another. Verse 23, Adam said, This creature is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So just forget the male-female thing for a moment and just think human. Every one of us comes from the body of another. Every person begins life interrelated. That's the way God has designed us. Not to be alone, but to be part of together with others. We're made for interconnectedness, to be together. And that's because God has made us like himself. I would suggest that God didn't create the world and mankind because he was lonely and wanted to have fellowship with us. No. God the Father, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit have coexisted in complete and harmonious community for all of eternity. God, in some wonderful, mysterious way, is one God. But he's also three. 
the triune God, Elohim, as the Israelites called him, called them, God of gods, mighty God, Lord of all, them. And Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in the same conversation with his disciples, he says, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll send you another helper, the Holy Spirit of truth. So you begin to see how God, the three distinct personalities of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, function and work together. Each of them has got a distinct nature and role, but they function together interdependently, preferring, honoring, loving, deferring each to the will of the other. We can't really tell where one person in the Godhead begins and another one ends. They were together in perfect community, communion before the foundations of the earth, together with all the heavenly hosts. And they were and are a community, a communion, if you like, by nature, full of love, grace, and fellowship, and all that those words imply. And we'll come back to those later. And I would also humbly suggest that God's plan of restoration didn't come into operation in response to the fall of mankind into sin. But that actually the earthly creation and mankind in particular was the beginning of God's restoration plan to restore what had already gone wrong in heavenly places when Satan had fallen because of his own pride and arrogance. Now that's a big subject in itself and I can't got time to go into that much further. But if you want to think some more about what God's ultimate intentions are, there have been lots of books written about it and two that I found particularly helpful. This one, Ultimate Intentions by Fromke. You can come and get details of these later. And this one, the Genesis Factor, which talks about God's ultimate purpose in creation. I do know this, though, that God breathed his breath into Adam and Eve, into humanity, in order to subdue that darkness that was already abroad, into that emptiness And he commissioned them to rule and to bring forth life and to expand into the whole of creation. In them, he created another type of being, a being in his own image to reproduce after his own kind. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this. So God said, let us, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, Elohim, Make mankind in our image after our likeness. Let them have complete authority over everything that creeps on the earth. So God made us in his image and in his likeness. He created us male and female and made us to live like Elohim, the three in one. Perfect grace, love and fellowship. That was God's restoration plan for the whole of eternity, including time and space, being put into action. Love, peace, joy, all of those good things, and fellowship. So let's fast forward a bit. We all know what happened. Mankind broke that perfect relationship with God 
by sin and decay and death came into and touched everything in the world. But God did not abandon his original purpose, did he? To have a people made in their image, behaving and being like him in community in the earth. And Jesus came and taught his followers what he wanted to happen here on earth in order to restore God's original purposes and make them possible through the power of that helper, the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Jesus broke the power of Adam's curse. He was the last Adam. He broke it on the cross. And after the cross, things were different and could be different for all of us. And it was as his followers brought their lives into submission to him together and allowed the Holy Spirit to work amongst them as a community of believers that this started to happen. We can see what happened in the beginning as they longed for this. They longed to be a powerful and an effective community. And they sought God in prayer together. And Jesus sent them his helper, the Holy Spirit, just as he promised. And it's there in Acts, the early chapter of Acts, isn't it? Particularly Acts 2, that we find descriptions of that first community of Jesus' followers, what the Greek writers called a koinonia, those living in a community of committed fellowship. Now, just something from my own story. I think Pete and I, as young people, as a young married couple, What we were really searching for in the 70s was an expression of this. You know, we were in a good church. It was a good Bible-believing church. But we wanted an expression of life that was about community. We wanted more than we'd already experienced. We were part of that hippie generation, you know. Everybody was tuning in, dropping out, you know, tripping up or tripping out whatever you like to call it. But there was a desire, and I believed it was God-birthed. People wanted to be counter-cultural. And I believe that God stimulated it that in that generation. And those people who were listening for his spirit experienced his spirit in what we call the charismatic renewal of that time. And they began to function together in community in a renewed way. You know... Um, We've had songs. We've had Cliff Richard this morning. I'll throw one in. You know, Joni Mitchell had a song. She wrote a song. It was about Woodstock, uh, the hippie pop festival that happened in 1969. And it says this, We were stardust. We were golden. And we had to get ourselves back to the garden. You know what? That song's very important to Pete and I for a number of reasons. But you know what? We didn't understand that actually God's intention was not about getting back to the garden. You know, God is coming back for a city and a body, his bride. It goes beyond however good it was in the garden. God is going beyond that. He's restoring beyond anything that we've ever seen before. So this is what we've been seeing. This is what we were seeking. We spent endless hours discussing with friends, you know, what this community might look like. Would it be a commune? Lots of people were living in communes at that time. Did it mean selling everything we had, giving up our home and moving in with other people, having everything in common? You know, what might community look like? This is what Acts 2 says about that community that fellowship, and they steadfully persevered. This is chapter 2, verse 42. 
They steadfully persevered, devoting themselves constantly to the instruction and fellowship of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, including the Lord's Supper and prayers. And a sense of awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were performed through the apostles. And all who believed in Jesus were united and together, and they had everything in common. And they sold their possessions, both land and goods, and distributed the price among all according to any need. And day after day, they regularly assembled in the temple with united purpose. And in their homes, they broke bread, including the Lord's Supper. And they partook of their food with gladness and simplicity and generous hearts. That was koinonia, committed, spirit-directed community. Community that included the work of the Holy Spirit, changing the world together. I was very touched by what Alan was saying this morning. You know, we are changing the world together. Every act of good that we do, every prayer for change is an act of koinonia. It's an act of fellowshipping together with the Holy Spirit and stamping on the enemy. And that's what we were looking for. That's the kind of community we wanted to give our lives for. And we came to Leeds and we found this community of believers here, some of whom, oh, more than 30 years later, are still in this room. Thank God. Obviously, we're not yet perfect as a community. But I tell you something, we're still going for it. 30 years later, community, koinonia, is in our DNA. I was talking about Brighton Rock. You know, if you cut us, that's what you'll find. That desire for spirit-partnered, life-changing, world-changing, restoring, restorative community. So as we can see from the New Testament accounts, this koinonia that the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus had, spread across the world as the apostles and prophets traveled and helped to bring together Jesus' followers in different places. So wherever communities of Christ followers came together, they came together in communities and often persecuted communities, minority, hidden communities sometimes. And so in the book of 2 Corinthians, Later on, we see Paul reminding them, reminding the local community of believers about continuing to do right as a fellowship, as a koinonia, about continuing to be a restoration community. And he finishes his pastoral letter to them with these words, the grace that is the favor and the spiritual blessing of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the presence and fellowship, that is, the communion and sharing together and participation in the Holy Spirit, be with you. So be it. He's blessing them, but he's also commanding the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the presence and fellowship, the communion, the sharing together and participation in the Holy Spirit, be with you, so be it. So here we see that Paul knew something about the nature of the Trinity. 
It talks about the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the togetherness, the committed working in partnership with, as a body of believers, the Holy Spirit. And then he says, be like this, so be it. And when Pete and I were talking about this yesterday, and I do want to say thank you to Pete, who helped me so much to straighten my thinking out. Lots and lots of thoughts worrying around. And also to our life group, where we've been opening up some of these aspects in the series of talks on restoration over these weeks. When Pete and I were talking about this, we started talking about the differences between these characteristics. And we began to see that the grace of the Lord Jesus is the fruit of our attitudes towards one another. And love, the love of God, is outworked in actions, isn't it? That's what Alan was talking about this morning. And the fellowship is the kind of community which emerges when grace and love are filled out and fleshed out in a community by the Holy Spirit. So what I think Paul is saying is that true communion, true fellowship, a restored community comes when we as a people in unity invite his partnership with us, his help. And it's this third element that enables us then, as a community of believers, to be a restoring force in the wider world. We have the power together on the ground here in Leeds to partner with God in the work of reconciliation, reconciling people to God, restoring relationships, restoring community, community groups, restoring everything in organizations, society, the law, the medical services, whatever aspect of life you want to think about, culture, you know? God wants to see those things restored to his original intentions and taken beyond. You know, uh, Kate, I think it was this morning, was talking about imagining what it would be like if every street in our house, what was coming from those houses was praise and worship to God, the testimony of restored people. You know, why can't we think like that more widely? Let's imagine, you know, what would a restored university look like? What would a restored business community look like? We've got a mandate to go beyond where even good things are happening now. And I'm not saying that good things are not happening in all of those sectors, because they are. But we have a mandate from God to create. We're made in his image to carve out, that means, under the wisdom and guidance of God. Just like Noah. Noah had an instruction. He made the art to a pattern. Solomon built a kingdom according to a pattern. It was a restored community. Bezalel and Aholiab, those master craftspeople that we know about, those artists, in building the tabernacle were working to a pattern that God himself had given them by his spirit. Wow, that is so exciting. Well, I find it exciting anyway. We're not on our own in this. We're not just people with good intentions, but we are those who together as a community can have the partnership and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in order to be a restoring group. 
So we're much more than a social club, aren't we? Or an interest group. We're much more than a network or even part of the global church. We are a local fellowship, a restoring, live, on the ground, salt of the earth, getting our hands dirty, human community. And we've got to be careful, as the apostle says somewhere else, not to let this world squeeze us into its mold. Because all of these are justified and even neutral, you might say, forms of community. But when we come to thinking about the community of God, we don't want to be squeezed into the ways that any of these operate. And it's so easy for that to happen. You know, in the business community, anywhere where kind of people talk about these things, networking is a huge, huge thing. I mean, we run courses in the university on networking. Most business people will have been told about or asked to think about the importance of networking to their careers, building networks of like-minded, like-interested people who can do you good. And so often it's very easy for that motivation to be about self. Other people are there in my network to do me good. You know what? That's the world. That's the temptation to be squeezed into a mold. We're not to be like that. We've got to be careful. There's so many communities and so many ways that it can all still be about me. Getting my needs met, furthering my interests and ambitions, further in my life and career. Now, I'm going to stop there. And I just want us to take, we haven't got very much time. Mark, how much time have we got? (laughs) Okay, 10 minutes. 10 minutes, I'm going to ask you, in groups, just round your table. And if you're not in a table with other people, just get around a table with other people. And I want to ask you to look at columns one and two. And come up with some suggestions and even some scriptures to back them up. Now, column one is about those B attitudes. We talked about grace being an attitude. If we are to be grace to one another, what does that mean in community? So can we come up with a list of the B attitudes of grace? And you can add relevant scriptures in if you're quick. If you're struggling with that one, look at Matthew chapter 5 for a start. And then column 2, Pete's coming around with the sheets now. If we are to be a love-filled people, filled with the love of the Father, restored to demonstrate love in action like he does, can we come up with a list of what that might look like? And then we won't get to column 3, but maybe we can carry this on in our groups this week. If we're literally to be fellowship together, to be koinonia, how will that affect our shared desire to reconcile and restore other people and society? So could you just spend quickly five minutes, jot some things down? I won't ask anyone to feed back, but just to look at that. What are the B attitudes of grace? that we need to show to one another in community? What are the love behaviors that we are to demonstrate as a restored community and a restoring community? 
And then we can look later at what that means in wider society. And I've given you a couple of ideas there to get going with. So in column one, I put mercy as a beatitude of grace and generosity. And then how would those attitudes manifest in community? I put showing compassion, serving, giving. And then in the third column, how they might be outworked as deeds of restoration. So if you could concentrate on columns one and two, and then would you do something for me this week? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to show you afresh what things might come into column three that God might have put on your heart or that you want to go with or that you feel this community could work together in? Because we want to know about those things. We want to know what God has laid on your heart for restoration. So 10 minutes and then we'll come back together. Okay, unfortunately our time has nearly run out together. So we're going to have to stop our discussion. But I do hope that you'll take these sheets away. And that either in groups, in life groups, student groups, or in any other kind of groups... And together in pairs or just in conversation, you'll talk about these things so much further. I don't know about you, but my heart burns for this stuff. This is God's plan and his purpose for restoring everything in the whole of creation. And it begins with us as a company of people. So I hope that that's helped to stimulate some thinking and that you'll go away together. Now, I want to do two things. First of all... Uh, I really, really um, want to pray for anybody in this room who is under, say, 30. Could you just stand up if you're under 30? No lying allowed. <laughs> you might be 30 on the inside. But you know what? I felt in my heart this morning to pray for you because the world looks very different today than it did when I was a young woman community looks very different we all inhabit multiple communities but we're still called to be the community of God I just want to ask that God will help you in the task of building a restored community father God I just want to thank you for every life represented here every young person standing in this room and father I pray by your Holy Spirit that you will teach them and guide them and show them how to make this kind of community of grace and love and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Lord, help them to find new expressions, fresh expressions of community that work to bring your restoration to the rest of society, that strengthen your people and make them effective and powerful in the world they live in. So Lord, I pray again that you will anoint by your Holy Spirit every young life represented here father god in all their various communities lord god empower them make them bold lord god teach them and show them how to do it by your holy spirit amen, amen. and then finally i want to ask rizon to come because rizon had a dream and he shared that in our life group on wednesday and we felt actually it was something for the whole church so have we got another microphone 
Praise God. Greetings, everyone. Wow. Hey. Um, okay, I sleeping rather. I had a dream, and in my dream, I was taken to Egypt, and I was passing through Egypt. And as I looked, there were leaders showing me around, but I wasn't with myself. I sensed in my spirit I was with a group of people, and I know there were brethren, there were leaders, there were the body of Christ. And as I walked through, I saw great buildings, architecture, buildings with gold and all sorts of wonders of technology. And it was very fascinating. But one thing, as these men began to lead me around, inside of them, they were trying to convince me that Egypt was a good place and what it had to offer and how it could benefit us as a people. Because I just sense in my spirit, there was a group of people, I knew there were, there, it was a body of Christ, it was believers. And, but what was inside of us was so powerful, was so potent, was so strong, that we wouldn't break ranks. We wouldn't break ranks. And no matter what they showed us of the wonders of Egypt, we did not succumb to it. And we continued to journey on. And I knew that what was inside of us was greater than what they had but they wanted us to believe in them so we would denounce what we had inside of us because it was like an offer. You were offered um, to whatever you imagined, you know, um, that would bring pleasure to us, desire, and wealth. And there was a lot of wealth I saw. Great architecture, great buildings, and great doors lavished with jewelry and gold. And that's the dream. Bless the Lord. Amen. community, togetherness and power.